I'm Reed from Bloomington, Illinois. I'm Matt from Savannah, Georgia. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. We've got to get ourselves together. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is one of our greatest singers, Mavis Staples. In her 50-plus year career with the Staples Singers and as a solo artist, she has really and truly bridged genres from uh, soul to gospel to R&B to country. And her latest record was produced by Wilco's Jeff Tweedy. Uh, Mavis Staples, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. you know, it's such an honor to have you on the show. Thanks. I, I wanted to start by asking you about um, when you first started singing. Um, how, how and when did you start singing? I started singing um, my father, in 1950. Pops was singing with an all-male group, the Trumpet Jubilees. And there were six guys. And these guys, Pops would go to rehearsal, come home disgusted. There may be two of them there. The whole group just wouldn't show up. So Pops got so disgusted, he came home one night. He went into the closet and pulled out a little guitar he had bought at the pawn shop. And he called us children into the living room, sit us on the floor in a circle, and began giving us voices to sing that he and his sisters and brothers would sing down in Mississippi. There were 10 of them. I mean, there were 14 of them. (laughs) There were 14. I'm cutting it short. The voices that he would give us were old time, you know. People, when, when we first started recording, people thought that we were old people, much older people, because of the songs that Pops was teaching us. No, 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 no. One night, my Aunt Katie came through, and she said, Shucks, y'all sound pretty good. I believe I want y'all to sing at my church. And we sang that Sunday, and people liked us. Pops realized they liked us, and he said, we're going to learn some more songs. And we started singing around Chicago, and uh, one lady was there one night uh, from VJ Records, Vivian Carter. And she told Pops, she said, Staples, you and those children need to be making records. And he told her, he said, no, I'm not going to put my children on a record. I don't know much about those records. He, he wouldn't let us record until he learned more about the record business. Certain people would, would talk to him, help him. Sister Mahalia Jackson, she would give him information, the soul stirrers. You know, he'd get books, too, you know, and learn. After he thought he had uh, learned, I guess I was about 13 then, he let us record. That's the staple singers with Sit Down Servant. 
My guest is Mavis Staples. The sound of those records, I think, as you alluded to, it, it's it sounds like a, a whole different thing. It doesn't sound like Mahalia Jackson or the Soul Stirrers. No, no, we weren't singing like we were singing like Pops' family. We weren't singing like anyone else out there. You know, we were different. And then, you know, Pops had his guitar, and he had a tremolo on the guitar. And nobody knew what that was. Making, you know, Elvis Presley told me one time, he says, I like the way your father plays his guitar. He plays, <laughs> he plays a nervous guitar. <laughs> but that was that tremolo. And uh, so no one had a guitar. We were the only ones singing with the guitar. Uh, some of the ministers didn't want Pops to bring his guitar in their churches. And he would tell them, he would show them in the Bible where it says, uh, praise him with strings. Praise him with tambourines and, and string instruments. Uh, it's, it's written in the Bible. And so they changed their minds and let us come on and sing in their churches. That was the best music of my life. That was the best. Just singing with my father's guitar and our voices. We sang like that for years. I want to hear a little bit of uh, this beautiful song that you as a group cut in, in 1957 that was your first hit and was a monumental hit uh, called Uncloudy Day. Uncloudy Day. Yes, indeed. Cloudy day. Well, 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 oh, yes, so yes, they tell me. No, they tell me. No. I got a home, got a home beyond the sky. Well, well, they tell me, You know, that, that particular song, Uncloudy Day, my voice was so heavy. And I was singing, well, 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 oh, Lord, they tell me now. People would bet on me. The disc jockeys would say, this is little Mavis Staples singing this, you know, little 13, 14-year-old. And, and, and people would say that they would bet, actually bet their money that I was not a little girl. No, that has to be uh, a man or a big fat lady. That's not a little girl. So we would fool the people. We knew that they had bet when we get to these places. Big auditoriums, you know, like 5,000 people. And, and, and when we get to that part, we'd sing this song down in harmony. And when we would get to the part where I would come in, my brother would go like he's going up to the mic, and people would see him come up and they say, "You see, I told you that wasn't a little girl." I told, and when they're going through all that, I would ease into the mic, and boy, the, the place would just go wild. Let me ask you: were, were you comfortable fronting this operation? I mean, you were sharing lead vocals with your dad often. Yes, um, but you know, I, I can only imagine that it, it was a lot of pressure to have on your shoulders and. And especially when you're um, when you're singing gospel and, and the music that you're performing isn't about you, it must be difficult to be to realize you're becoming a star. 
Oh, no. You know, I never, I never, that never crossed my mind. That never, I was just a happy little girl singing. And, 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 and um, my father and mother taught us. When we went on the road, they taught us, you know, these people are coming to you telling you, you know, you know, you all stay humble. Stay humble. Don't get on this star trip. We never got on a star trip. You know, even today, I'm I'm just everyday people. I I do everything. I don't have any runners or anything. I go to the grocery store, I go to the cleaners, I go, you know, uh uh and do everything that a person would do for themselves. I love to be around the people. You have to be. You have to, and some people will, will a lot of times I'm not noticed. But sometimes in the grocery store this, these little ladies will say, "You know, you look like that Mabel Staple." And <laughs> and I said, "Oh, yeah, a lot of people tell me." And, and, and she said, "And you sound like her too." You know. <laughs> and so I have to let them know, but but uh I like to mingle with the people, you know. You know, and and, and it it keeps you sane. It keeps you. I mean, and and then what, what? How can you sing? How can you know what the people need if you don't get out there with them? You know. So we we've never. I never felt like I was above my sisters and my brother. You know, because I was the lead singer. I've I've always been just Mavis. Just you know, I never let that go to my head. I want to play a little bit of a song called. Uh, Freedom Highway that uh, you recorded in 1965. Yes. In a world where it was where it was controversial, and you had to convince people that it was okay for your dad to play a guitar mm-hmm. um, in a you know church concert, yes. How, how did it come to be that the Staple Singers started singing not just uh, traditional gospel music but also protest music? Well, we 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 visited Dr. King's church one Sunday morning. We happened to be in Montgomery, Alabama. We were working there that night. And Pops called my sisters and I to his room and told us, listen, you all, this man Martin is here, Martin Luther King. He has a church here. Do you all want to go? And we said, yes, we want to go. And uh, we all went down to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, and uh, we were ushered in and seated. Someone let Dr. King know that we were in the service, and he acknowledged us. He said, uh, we're glad to have Pop Staples and his daughter's here this morning, and we hope you enjoy the service. And afterwards, Dr. King would stand at the door, shake the worshiper's hand, as we found out. My sisters and I shook his hand, and then Pops, you know, he stood and talked with him for a while. We finally get back to the hotel, and he called us to his room again after we were there for a while. And he said, listen, you all, this man, I really like his message. I really like his message. And I think that if we can, he can preach it, we can sing it.
Were you already thinking about the movement? Was it something that you were aware of before you went to church that day in Montgomery? No, you know, I really wasn't. There hadn't been a whole lot done. Um, hadn't been a whole lot on the news about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. But uh, when when uh, he started the the movement, we we wanted to join. We wanted to be a part of. It's such a huge change from what you were doing before. I mean, very much in the same spirit, but still mm-hmm. something that you, um, you know, you didn't have to do. Uh, yes. W- was it scary at all? You know, it was scary at times. Um, but we felt like, you know, we what we were doing at first before that was strictly gospel songs. and And you feel that you're a servant. You know, this was a cause that needed our voices, and and we felt comfortable. We had we were with our father, and uh, but my sisters and I, we would go downtown, like in Jackson, Mississippi, and pops would tell us, you know, now you all go downtown, don't start anything, don't start nothing, and then he would tell us, but don't take nothing either, you know, <laughs> he pops, he he uh. He wouldn't take nothing. He, we had some some young white boys. We would ride in the, in the car, and they would come over into us like they wanted to run us off the road, you know. And pops would just run right back over into them, you know. He wouldn't he wouldn't give in to anything. I heard he he uh, cold cocked a gas station attendant once. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He. Before I knew it, Pops had clocked him. You know, the, the the guy I was driving, I was the night driver. And I had driven from uh, uh, Mississippi into Memphis, and I pulled in the service station. This guy was very rude, very rude. And and um, uh, I think he thought that my father was an old man because Pops had white hair. You know, but Pops had white hair when he was 18 years old. And... Um, and then, and then he didn't see my brother in the car. My brother was covered with coats because it was his next time to drive. So he was sleeping. And he saw uh, Pops and these two ladies, you know, and I guess he figured he could do like he wanted. He gave me the gas. I asked him for a receipt. And he looked at me and he called me that word, you know, and uh, he said, if you want a receipt, you come over to the office. And so Pops told me, he said, Mavis, pull over there. We, this was a huge station, and I was way on the outside pump. And Pops said, Mavis, pull over there. I pulled over, so Pops went in to get this receipt. And I'm sitting under the driver's wheel, and I saw this, this tall, real thin, young white boy shake his finger in my father's face and was saying something. Pops asked him, why did he call me that? Why would he talk to me like that? And he shook his finger in Daddy's face and was saying something to him. And next thing I knew, Pops had clocked him, you know. And he was down for, for the count. And he got up, and they, they kept fighting. They fought over into the grease part of the the, the uh, service station. And Pops, because he had his slippers on, he slipped down. <laughs> and, and this guy had a crowbar just about to come down on Pops. My sister was out of the car like a whiz, and she was beating him in the back, beating him in the back. And uh, he got away from her, and I saw him going and running to his 
I knew he was going for a gun when he went running in the office. So I told my brother, I said, Purvis, Purvis, they're fighting. And Purvis came from under those coats like Superman coming out of that that, uh, <laughs> that that telephone booth. He was in there so fast. And I saw him go up in the air because Purvis was much shorter than this guy. He went up in the air and came down on him. <laughs> That's when he started running. He started running. I'm driving the getaway car. I'm trying to turn the car around. He, I almost hit him. So Daddy says, Mavis, drive. Heard they all got back in the car huffing and puffing him. And all of a sudden, I saw these white lights, three of them, coming behind me. And I told Pops, I said, Daddy, there's some lights behind me flashing. He said, just keep on driving, Mavis. We got on this bridge that divides Memphis and West Memphis, Arkansas. And uh, they pulled up on all sides of us, had shotguns, and dogs were barking, told us to get out of the car. And and uh, they started searching the car. They found our money that we made in Mississippi. And these people paid us cash money. It was in a cigar box, just like you may have taken this money. Because the boy told them that we robbed him and we didn't pay for our gas. And the one officer said, this is what we're looking for. And Pop says, that's our money, officer. And he said, where you get this money? And Pop says, we sang for that money tonight in Jackson, Mississippi. He said, these are my children, and we sing gospel music. And uh, he said, you can call any of the discharges, bless my bones, Wade. You can call the, well, it's it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, but you can call anyone in Memphis, and they will tell you who we are, uh, that that we haven't done anything wrong. (laughs) He said, oh, yes, you did. You you took this money from the service station to... They they kept on they handcuffed us. He called my father a boy, you know. He they were they were very nasty, and and um, you know they put us in these different cars. They took our car, made a U turn, and and uh, uh, I just I just thought they were taking us out in the in the in the woods to lynch us, you know, because this was early '60s. Dr. King had just started the movement, and and they didn't like Dr. Martin Luther King at all, so. They take us to the jail. I've never been so happy to see a jail. And we walk in the jail. Here's a black man mopping the floor. And he says, Pop Staples, what you doing here? <laughs> then he looked up and he said, and your children. And we walked on past and the chief came out. He said, all right, who's going to tell me what happened here? And Pops told him, he said, if you take me to another room, I'll tell you what happened. Pops didn't want me to hear what that boy had said about me, mm. you know, when he was shaking his finger in his face. And and he took the chief back. In the meantime, the chief told one of those officers to take one of us out there to get the receipt that, that we said we paid for. My sister found the receipt. It was Pops had it, you know, when he got back in the car. Uh, and it was all bloody. And, and uh, because when Pops hit him, he had his ring on, his, his pinky, and the blood flew, you know. So so uh, the receipt, the, the the chief saw we had paid for our gas. He came out there, and he told those policemen, he said, get those handcuffs off those people. You know, get those cuffs off them. He said, we're trying to get this mess straightened up down here, and these youngsters are trying to keep us going, keep it going. And they let us go. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning then. Purvis started driving. I certainly couldn't drive anymore. But but uh, 
that that was on, in every paper the next morning. The Pittsburgh Courier, Chicago Defender, staple singers go to jail for beating up a white man. <laughs> and uh, that was one of my scariest times. We'll be back in a minute with more Mavis Staples. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is uh, the great Mavis Staples. Her new album is You Are Not Alone. It's produced by Jeff Tweedy of Wilco. I want to play um, a song from... Uh, it was one of your first secular hits. You you, you guys signed to uh, Stax Records at the beginning of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And um, this song is one of my personal favorites. It's called Respect Yourself. Yes. That's still my favorite. Take the shit off your face, boy. It's a brand new day. Respect yourself. Respect yourself. Respect yourself. Respect It's such a beautiful song, um, and I wonder if when you were making these records, you were mindful of the kind of warmth that that's, that that song has, both in both in message and in its in its sound. Mm-hmm. We were we were very aware of uh, the, the the message of our respect yourself the sound it was such a groove you know and and when pops would sing his part it just it was just so so comforting and so smooth you know pops pops could really sing yeah. you know and uh he would just take his time you know and uh mac rice wrote that and when he came into the studio when he told us to say that you know, Pop said, Mac, man, we ain't going to say that now. He <laughs> said, that don't sound like a stable singer. And Mac said, Pops, this, this, this is, you don't have all the kids saying dee 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 And uh, he was, Pops was laughing at him. So Pop said, okay, Mac, we'll say it. That song today is still out of all of our songs. That's my favorite, Respect Yourself.
you recorded all these beautiful songs that were, in a way, kind of like secular gospel songs. Mm-hmm. And it always struck me as interesting that that so many, I mean, so many great R and B and soul artists started and um, even throughout their career sang gospel music, and usually they did it by you know half of James Brown's songs in the early days were just him taking a gospel song and and taking out the Jesus part and putting in girl mm-hmm. or baby or yes. something like that. Um. But that wasn't what your songs were. Mm-mm. Your songs really, really felt like gospel music, not with a lover transposed in in place of God, mm-hmm. but just with sort of humanism transposed in in place of a a specific religion. Yes, you know that that was our purpose. We never wanted to get too far away from the church. We never wanted to get too far away from our gospel roots. You know, so any song that we would sing was going to be a song of inspiration uh, uh, to help someone, you know, to, to, to of truth and love. I'll take you there. It had that beat. It had the, you know, upbeat where, of course, people would dance. But still... We, we, we're talking about taking you to heaven. We, we're telling you, I know a place. Ain't nobody crying. Ain't nobody worried. Ain't no smiling faces lying to the races. So where else could we be taking you but to heaven? And and uh, the, the 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 church people, because of that beat, they wanted to put us out of church. You know, and the staple singers are singing the devil's music, singing the, you know, and and uh, we had to let them know. You have to listen to our lyrics. You know, they they listened to that song after we did, I don't know, a thousand interviews explaining to them. And uh, we were finally invited back to church. And the very first song that was requested right in the pulpit was I'll Take You There. Sadly, Stax Records sort of ran aground in the mid-70s, and you and the group went back to Chicago and signed with uh, Curtis Mayfield's label um, and ended up working extensively with him over the course of a few years, both both as the staple singers and, and you as a solo act. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to play a little bit of uh, probably your biggest hit uh, recorded with Curtis Mayfield. Uh, let's do it again. Yes. And that was a movie score. That was the only secular song that the staple singers ever sang. Curtis, when he told Pops, he said, Okay, now, Pops, this is your part. <laughs> and that part was I like your lady so fine with your pretty hair and Pop said Curtis man I'm not going to say that 
He said, I'm not going to say that. I'm a church man. I'm not. And Curtis begged. He said, oh, Pops, come on, man. The Lord won't mind. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we wanted to do it so bad. You know, we wanted to hear our voices on the big screen. So we started begging Pops. We said, oh, come on, Daddy. You know, this is, this is a, it's not like we switching over. It's a movie score. And Pop finally came on in and sang the song. Now I like you, lady. So fine with your pretty hair. If you don't want to compliment, just dig in the clothes you wear. I'm just a man now, don't you fear. I can learn it now, don't It turned out to be really a, a, a fun song that we would sing because the ladies, they wanted to hear Pop sing that song, you know. And, oh, he was just in his glory. And we told him, now, now see, Daddy, and aren't you glad we sang Do It Again? Your new record is a collaboration, and before we talk about it, I, I want to talk quickly about one other collaboration in your career. And that is that, in 1989, you recorded this record with Prince. Yes. Um, and you actually recorded with Prince on, on other things as well. Yes. Um, Prince, has a, Prince has quite a reputation. I don't know if you're aware. <laughs> yes. You know, when, 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 I, when, when Prince called me, you know, they, I, would, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't, you know, I'd see Prince and I'd hear him. And I'd heard the songs that these girls were singing, Oh, You Nasty Boy. And and uh, when he called me, he got Pops. And Pops called me and said, Mavis, Prince is looking for you. And uh, I said, Dad, what Prince? I don't know no Prince. He said, girl, the one they call Purple. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what, Prince is looking for me? You know? And he said, yes. He, he said, I said, what does he want? He said, Mavis, call the man and see what he wants. So the next morning, I called the number. And Bob Cavallo, his manager, he answered. He said, yes, Miss Staples, uh, Prince wants to write for you and uh, record you, sign you to his label. And and uh, and uh, I stopped him. I said, well, wait a minute. I said, what would Prince write for me? You know, I said, I've heard the songs that, that uh, Apollonia and Vanity sing. I said, I, I, I can't sing that kind of stuff. I said, I'm, I'm a woman. You know, I need a song with substance. And uh, he said, oh, he's very much aware of the nature of your talent, and he will be writing contemporary songs for you, you know. So when he told me that, you know, I said, well, okay. And um, he got started to writing, writing. He, I had to write Prince letters. He wouldn't talk to me, you know. <laughs> he was so shy. I said, oh, this, this kid is just, just painfully shy. And I would talk and talk. He would just smile and, and roll his big eyes, you know. And so I said, uh, I've got to do something. If we can't communicate, how can he write for me? So I started writing Prince letters. And I would write these 13- and 14-page legal pad letters. You know, if Prince kept any of my letters, he has a big book on he has my life. Because I started writing from when I was a little girl. And uh, just moved it on up. The next CD that he wrote for me, which was The Voice, that record 
in every song has something from my letters. From my le- my letters is all through this 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 uh, record, the voice, and um, one re- he wrote me uh, the the blood is thicker than time. He wrote that as a tribute to my family, and uh, he has something about Moses in there. You know, he we went to church on Sunday morning, all dressed up, looking mighty fine. We went to church on Sunday morning, all dressed up, looking mighty fine. The spirit came without a warning, intoxicating us all like wine. Don't it make you stop and wonder why we kill our own kind every day? Why can't we get along? So your most recent record, You Are Not Alone, is a collaboration with Jeff Tweedy of the band Wilco. Um, I want to play the title track, which uh, Jeff Tweedy also wrote. Let's, let's take a listen to You Are Not Alone from my guest, Mavis Staples. You're not alone I'm with you I'm lonely too What's that song? Can't be sung by two. A broken home, a broken heart, isolated. And afraid Open up, this is a ray I want to get it through to you You're not alone Besides both being Chicago folks, how did you, how did you come to meet uh, Jeff Tweedy? Well, he came to uh, a concert I had at the Hideout. The Hideout is a little funky club here on the south side. Of Chicago, and uh, actually, we were we were recording that night. We were recording a live CD, and it's called "Hope at the Hideout." And uh, Jeff Tweedy came upstairs to the dressing room uh, to meet meet us, and he introduced himself. And after maybe about two weeks after that, uh, my manager said, "Was it all right to give him my phone number?" I told him yes, and uh, we met at a restaurant over in Hyde Park and talked. He let me into his life. I let him into my life. And I found he was a, he worked at a record shop when he was a kid. And he had access to all of the staple singers, old music. He knew us. And he, he was crazy about pops, you know. And he talked about family. That sold me. When he started talking so much about his father and his, his sons, his wife, you know, because this was something that Pops always stressed to us, family. Family is the strongest unit in the world. 
You know, so when we left that uh, restaurant, I felt like I knew him. You know, I felt really this was going to be all right to work with him. And he said, Mavis, I have this title in my head. It's called You're Not Alone. And I want to write that song for you. I want to write a song for you. He started telling me some of the meat of it and why he wanted to write the song. And I, 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 my skin started crawling on my bones. I said, Tweety, write it. And so when we got started in the session, we, we uh, started with some other songs. He walked around the studio with his, hit, his iPod, and he said, Mavis, um, guess what I have on my iPod? I said, what? He said, I have all of the staple singer songs from the 50s and 60s. And I said, oh, man, that was the best music of my life. You know, just my father's guitar and, and our voices. You know, he said, How, what do you think about doing some of these songs? I said, I would love to do some of the songs that my father wrote. And uh, we, we ended up choosing You Don't Knock, The Downward Road is Crowded, and... Uh, I'm on my way to heaven anyhow. And uh, that, I, I just felt so good. You know, all these memories came back um, from back in the day, back in the 60s and 50s and when Pops was writing and we were rehearsing those songs. And, you know, it just just, just um, made the, the, the CD more special to me, you know, to be singing songs that we recorded back then, way back then. Let's hear Don't Knock from Mavis Staples' new album, You Are Not Alone. You don't knock, don't knock just walk on in. The door, the door to heaven's been. There's love, there's love and joy for you. To share, to share the whole day through. I know, I know my friends are there. To rest, to rest in heaven's name. You don't knock, ring, push or hold. The door's wide open, waiting for you, so you don't knock. You just walk on in. There's one song that I, I really want to ask you about. Um, it's a song written by one of my favorite songwriters, Randy Newman, called Losing You. Yes. And when I was researching the, the songs on this album, I, I came across uh, Randy Newman describing um, how he came to write the song. And he said that his, um, his brother is a doctor and had been treating a, a, another doctor who was very young, 24, 25 years old, mm-hmm. who had died of cancer, a, a type of cancer that, that took him very quickly. Yeah. And um, Randy Newman's brother was talking to the young man's parents and found out that they had been um, Holocaust survivors and had mm-hmm. lost their families in the Holocaust. And they said that they had had the time to... Uh, create new lives after they lost their families, but they didn't think that they would ever be able to replace their son Mm. um, who had died um, when they just didn't have the time to change their lives um, in that way. Um, uh, I'm glad you told me that. It's a pretty powerful song. Yes, yes, it is powerful. It is powerful. And and, uh, I... um, when I heard it, I, I I just, you know, my mind went straight to my father, and uh, 
how could, who could I sing this song for? You know, because I can get over losing my husband. You know, I had been divorced, married and divorced, and uh, um, I, my 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 dog. I I really that was really hard on me. You know, but I I got over it. But but I'll never get over losing my father. You know, and I, that's where my mind was when I sang it. You know, I I was singing it for pops. And uh, I I just thank him for writing that song. You know, it it uh, it it I get sometimes on stage I I be thinking about pops when I'm singing it, and I get so welled up. You know, I can hardly get through the song. But um, it's it's a beautiful song. It's just a beautiful, beautiful song. And uh, I can understand uh, why he wrote it for his friend like that. That that that's a wonderful story. Well, Miss Stables, thank you so much for taking this time to be on The Sound of Young America. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Mavis Staples' new album is called You Are Not Alone. Uh, let's hear Losing You from the record. Was a fool with my money And I lost every dime And the sun stopped shining It rained all the time it did set me back some Oh, but I I made it through But I'll never Get over Losing you Do you know How much You mean To me Should have told you Cause it's true I'd get over losing anything, but I'll never get over losing you. When you're young and there's time, you forget the past. You don't think that you will. But you do But I know That I don't have Time enough And I'll never Get over Losing you I've been cold I've been hungry not for a while I guess most Of my dreams Have come true With it all Here around me No peace Do I find Cause I'll never Get over Losing you No I'll never Get over losing you That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. 
The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our music is provided to us by Dan Wally. Our producer is Julia Smith. Our editor, Nick White. You can find all of our programs online for free at MaximumFun.org, including our comedy talk show, Jordan, Jesse, Go, in addition to The Sound of Young America, and lots of other cool stuff. If you have thoughts about the show or you want to bring us out to perform at your local cabaret venue... I don't know why we would perform in a cabaret venue. Anyway, the moral of the story is you can email me at jesse at org. Otherwise, we'll see you right here. Same bat time, same bat channel. Bye-bye. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.